This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast. I am David Tremonti, joined as always by my co-host Daniel Gumby Vreeland. He is the co-editor of MMA-Manifesto.com, which coincidentally is our mothership. You can head on over to the website, click on the podcast tab, find our archives. We are now 35 episodes deep, and we of course are available on TuneIn, Stitcher, SoundClouds, really wherever a podcast is being streamed. We have what's called an RSS feed. We thank you so much for listening to us. We appreciate the heck out of it, and we of course appreciate our sponsor, the best mouthguard on the market, Sisu Mouthguard. Gumby, they say numbers don't lie. I'm going to throw some numbers at you, okay? All right, shoot. All right, the Max Guard, which is like the best Sisu mouth guard that they make, that's 48% better than conventional mouth guards when it comes to the impact force required to cause permanent tooth damage. That is shocking and not shocking at the same time because while I'm shocked that more people don't use Sisu, I'm not shocked because I use one myself. I know how comfortable they are and I know how good they protect you. So head on over to SISUGuard.com and get yourself protected just like me. And I would be remiss not to mention that on impact energy absorption, the Max Guard is 142% better than conventional mouth guards. 142% better. That's a whole lot better. Yeah. I mean, you can't argue with math, you can't argue with science, and you can't argue with City Hall. If you participate in a sport or activity that requires a mouth guard, you're a real dum-dum if you're not getting yourself a Sisu mouth guard. Hey, if you want to email the show, we're TopTurtleMMA at Gmail. If you want to give us a follow, we're at TopTurtle on Twitter, and Gumby, talk about Facebook. Head on over to the Facebook page. It's Top Turtle MMA. Click the like button. You'll not only get the show in your eardrums and on your Facebook page, but you'll also get my parlay picks and Dave's prop picks right before every single card. So in summation, Sisu Mouthguard presents episode 35 of Top Turtle MMA Podcast. <laughs> Are rolling Top Turtle MMA podcast episode 35. We can get right into it, Gumby. Andre Arlovsky lost to Josh Barnett, and I know you're a big Arlovsky fan, so how did it make you feel? Yeah, it was tough to watch. Uh, it was a hell of a fight, though. I mean, we can give it to them there. That, Great fight. That first exchange in the first 30 seconds. Where Barnett rocked him. Barnett who, rocked him. Who would have expected that? Then then Arlovsky rocked him back, and then Barnett rocked him back. And, and then was, how about Arlovsky coming out on top on, like, a weird uh, oh, scramble? Yeah. Yeah, that was... Uh, his Sambo background coming some, into play. Some pretty impressive grappling, but I will say his willingness to grapple was his downfall in this one. Uh, he should have just stayed away from the ground altogether. Not that the, the feet aren't also dangerous, as we learned. But, um, you know, it, it was tough to watch. But at this point in time, you know, he's 36, 37. It's starting to get to the point where, like, you know, a title shot's probably not in the works anyway. So it sucks to watch him lose. But it's not like he took a huge step back, right? It's, well, that's what I wanted to talk to you about, Gumby. And that's why we do these podcasts. We try to suss it out. The heavyweight division is kind of a mess right now. Like, I thought about it. It was a fun fight. I get into it, and I'm thinking to myself, oh, man, I want to see Barnett versus... And then I'm like, wait a minute, hold on. Who do I want to see him fight? Like, yeah, there are some fun fights at the top, don't get me wrong. Or not even at the top. But, you know, you could say if Brock Lesnar came back from his suspension... Or, I don't know, um, Travis... No, he already lost to Travis I'd watch, Brown. I'd watch him fight uh, the Black Beast if he beats uh, Marcin Tybura. Yeah. I guess this was my point. There are no up-and-coming heavyweight fighters other than, like, Naganu, right? Yeah. 
I, I wouldn't. I don't think Nagano's ready for him yet. Uh, yeah, I mean, everyone's just so old in that division. I guess is my point. Yeah, it's painful. Uh, I, I was saying you could probably put him with JDS. JDS seems to be waiting and needing a fight. That's right around where you would want Barnett. If Barnett's going to be a serious challenger, give him JDS. See how it works out. And if not, you can pretty much relegate him to the middle of the division for the rest of his life. Yeah, I mean, all right, let's go from this angle. That's the winner, and I'm not really excited to see where he goes next. What do you do with Arlovsky? Uh, that's a tough one. I, I, I'd like to say that you put him up against somebody who's uh, pretty relevant in the division but is also on a giant losing streak. What do you? I mean, like Roy Nelson makes sense to me. Uh, they fought once before, and I think it was IFL. Yeah, it was the IFL, like right? Yeah, and I'm I'm pretty sure Arlovsky stopped him, if I'm remembering that correct. He could fight somebody like Stefan Struve. Um, you know, who's uh, on the younger side, but still hasn't put together anything all too impressive. Um, you know, Francis Nagano, you mentioned, you know, he certainly would make sense. Here's the problem. You have Antonio Silva is ranked number 15. He's lost, I don't know, 13 in a row. 50 times in a row. Yeah, all by knockout within 40 seconds. Then you have Francis Nagano, who is an exciting prospect. Struve, up and down, maybe on an upswing. Ruslan Magomedov. He's, eh, he's decent. That's yeah, decent. Yeah. Maybe him versus Arlovsky somewhere in Eastern yeah. Europe. Yeah, sure. Uh, then you have your boy Hoy Nelson. Then Derek Lewis, also very exciting at this juncture. Um, and then you have Mark Hunt. Who knows if we ever see him again? You, I mean, you could put Mark Hunt with with uh, Andre Arlovsky. Yeah. I mean, there's there's really no reason not to do that. I mean, nobody, neither of them has looked particularly impressive as of late. It'd be a fun fight. They're both later in their career. When you go to the top of the division, though, when it comes to Arlovsky now at this point, I think he's like, what, four and three since his return. He uh, was 4-0 and now 0-3. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's like him versus Verdum. I obviously pick Verdum. Him versus Stipe. Stipe already starched him. Him versus Kane. I'm obviously picking Kane. Him versus Overeem. Overeem already starched him. And then versus JDS. I pick JDS. So, I don't know. Yeah. It, it seems like it's, I mean, at least just time to have fun. I, I yeah. Would say. I'm glad to have him on the roster, but it's not like Arlovsky, the future title contender. Anymore. No, not anymore. Um, I did just want to have the uh, have the intern check this, and you were correct. Arlovsky beat Roy Hoy Nelson uh, via KO, which surprised me, uh, just because Nelson is hard to stop. But uh, that was back in Elite XC, actually. Yeah, there are a lot of people who called that an early stoppage, though. Uh, is that right? Yeah, I remember. Now that now that you mentioned that it was an Elite XC, there, there were people who thought it was sketchy. Um, all right, moving on. You had the co-main event of the evening, Alexander Gustafsson versus um, Jan Blankowitz. Yeah. And uh, Gustafsson grinded out a three-round decision, mainly by taking uh, Blankovic Blank- down. down a lot, because I think Blakovich right off the gate, was getting the better of the striking. Yeah, which was very surprising, because the, the length difference was insane. So, so to see that continuously happening to Gus is just, I mean, very much not indicative of Gustafson. But he showed that whole new side of his game where he's fine taking you down with trips and single legs and beating you up on top. Yeah, I was very surprised in the first minute. I thought to myself, oh my God, if Gustafsson gets knocked out here, we might have like, uh, there could be a potential suicide here. Yeah, I, he, be- I mean, he go- he went, had the full range of emotions. That's obviously what you're talking about here. Every single time he wins or loses and it's really razor thin. Uh, so so to see him you know, get tagged here, I, I was definitely worried for him too because 
I mean, Blankovic is was supposed to be like the easy get you back on the right track guy. So to see him sting him, that was scary. It was, and uh, props to Blankovic. Definitely in a loss, I still think he earned some respect, at least from the striking standpoint. Absolutely. But could definitely work a little bit on the takedown yeah. defense. Uh, what do you do with Gustafsson next? Now that he's got the win back under his belt, not ready for prime time again, in my opinion. I, I don't know because you know what? If you told me that uh, you know, say on a uh, New Year's pay per view card. You were going to run uh, Dan Cormier versus Rumble Johnson 2 and Gustafson versus Jones 2. Oh, take my money now. Yeah, right. You would watch the hell out of that, right? Because, I mean, his fight with, with Jones is an instant classic, one of the greatest light heavyweight fights of all time. I wouldn't hate to see him fight Jones again if Jones isn't going to get the title shot. If not Jones, due to suspension, where do you go next? Because he's not getting the next title shot. In sure, a you're running out of guys at 205. I was though. thinking I mean, of like... Glover, but I'll tell you, the problem with Glover versus anyone is Glover's still a very live, older uh, gatekeeper. Yeah, my, my worry about Glover, too, is he's just coming off getting his tooth knocked into the first row too so he's going to take a while to recover and you got to imagine Gus wants to get kind of back in there again and, and start to build a win streak you could always put him with Krylov or another up-and-comer Ooh. like that but he I mean to me he is still head and shoulders better than somebody like Krylov uh, so so maybe not, but but that would make sense, right? Yeah, because in then we want to go over the rankings there from let's say five to ten. You have Ovin St. Pru at five. Him versus OSP would be interesting. I think they booked that before OSP backed out, and we wound up with him versus Jimmy Manawan. That sounds right. Uh, and then. Mauricio Shogun Hua, he's already beat. Rashad Evans is not even in the division anymore. He's going down to middleweight. Jimmy Manawa, he already beat. And Antonio, Antonio Rogerio Nogueira, I have no interest in seeing. Well, he's nine. I mean, although he just came off of a pretty decent win. So, I mean, he wouldn't be an awful one either. Uh, I'll throw this out here. You know, as long as we're talking about this card, there is somebody in the division he's never fought up at the top. Bader. He's, he's never fought Ryan Bader, who looked... Again, very beatable because I thought that Ilor Latifi tagged him a couple of times too, but then that knee, god damn that knee! Yeah, Bader uh, with it wasn't really a flying knee; it was more it like was more like Latifi shot in exactly. Yeah, and Bader timed uh, a knee just perfectly, and the lights went out. Nobody was home on Ilor Latifi, and Latifi's a fun fighter to watch. Uh, but you know, I think he would run into trouble against the tops of the division as we saw against Bader. Um, but yeah, I mean, Bader Gus, I'm into it. I'm and into and it. it's never happened before. You know, he, if you're thinking about what to do next with Bader, he's fought rumble. He fought Rashad Evans. He fought OSP. He fought Glover. He fought, uh, let's see. He fought. Yeah, John well, Jones, Hojero Noguera. Yeah, like he's fought everybody in that division, except pretty much. Gus, except for Gus. No. So I mean, line it up. Well played, Gumby. Well played. All right. So that was. I mean, is there any other performance you might want to mention from that card? Because I really only wanted to talk about the top three, to that, be honest with you. Card that card, in general, was rough. pretty rough. Tons of decisions. The one fight on the undercard that wasn't a decision was. Not terribly exciting either. It was Ashley Evans-Smith just blocking a bunch of leg locks and throwing elbows uh, and not even particularly hard ones until they stopped it. So, yeah, a boring undercard for me, and it takes a lot for me to say that an undercard was boring. All right, so we'll go to a new segment on the show. Uh, I don't even think I've told you about it yet. It's called This Week in GSP Horseshit Rumors. <laughs> 
and this week, what we found out is that GSP's management has tried to call UFC management, and they have not called him back. And this is on the heels of Dana White saying he doesn't know if GSP really wants to fight anymore. Gumby, I'm so tired of this. It's funny. Next, well, I feel like we're we're like one inch away from like round the clock what's gsp eating coverage yes yeah and and you know what i i hope it never comes to that but you know what this is what we get for for mma becoming closer to mainstream like you know what lebron james ate for lunch yesterday thanks to sports center we're it looks like we're going that way with mma too pretty soon you'll know what you know what gsp's poop schedule is um i feel like gsp would be very regular but yeah (laughs) um yeah a lot of of fiber i I, yeah (laughs) i know what you're saying though um i guess you take the good with the bad it's a good thing that the sport has gotten so big where now you get all these updates about it and there's a whole just cottage industry of mma websites that make their money off clickbaity type articles and even non-news stories become news stories but you know it's a public negotiation i guess is what annoys me about it both sides are just negotiating right now in public for whatever contract they're working out. I hope they'll work it out, but you know what? If it means I never have to get another update about it, if if GSP <laughs> ends up in Bellator in a year and he's my favorite fighter of all time, and while I think that would be a huge waste, fuck it. I don't even care anymore. I just want to see him fight or not fight and yeah. just call it a career. Make up your freaking mind, right? Yeah. Okay, we now have the pleasure of cutting to our interview with Uncle Creepy Ian McCall, and this interview is, of course, brought to you by New England Submission Fighting. New England Submission Fighting, a mixed martial arts gym in the lovely, quaint, and picturesque town of Amherst, Massachusetts, mine and Gumby's home gym, so we might be a little biased, but it's the best gym in the history of the world. Class is six days a week. You can check out the website, AmherstMMA.com, and if you're ever in the area, come on down. Tell them Dave and Gumby sent you, and you'll be treated with a hug, a smile, a kiss, and a choke. New England Submission Fighting brings you... They won't kiss you. New England Submission Fighting brings you our interview with Uncle Creepy. This is Daniel Gumby Vreeland here with my co-host Dave Tremonti, and we are talking again with Ian, Uncle Creepy McCall, who fights this Saturday at UFC 203 uh, versus Ray Borg. So... Uh, Ian, last time we spoke, you were getting ready for your fight with Justin Scoggins. Uh, you said even you were spending a little bit of time during fight week with him. He's a good kid and all. Uh, did he give you any indication at that time that the weight cut wasn't going well? Was that or was that a complete surprise to you when you found out? Uh, well, besides the fact that he was gigantic looking, I didn't really <laughs> think about it. I mean, I was looking at him. I was like, he's twenty five. Like, he looks like a thirty five for sure. He. He looked just, and I didn't know if, I, if it was just me just thinking he looked big or what, but uh, real, I, I had zero indication that he was he was overweight. Yeah, so obviously that's a, a big blow to somebody who came in as prepared as you. Uh, so, you know, what was your first reaction when that happened? Were you angry? Were you going right to the UFC and trying to book another fight? What, what was the, the reaction from Uncle Creepy? I just started laughing. Like, oh, really? Seriously again? Like, okay, cool. Great. Um, I, I don't. I, I don't know. I can't. I can't really get mad. You know, like whatever. It's. I. I know UFC will always take care of me. So, right. And I said I. I wanted to be at at a at two hundred two with Connor. Um, but that just. You know, no one would take a fight with me on three weeks' notice. I guess. So. It, it, I'm not saying I'm scary or anything, but you know, people are just smart enough not to take the fight with me on three weeks notice <laughs> yeah de- definitely too good of a guy to take it on three weeks notice so let's talk about your new opponent a little bit so you're fighting ray borg uh 
compare his differences to, to Justin Scoggins. What's the, uh, what's the big change in, in planning for him? Well, stylistically, it's a completely different fight. You know, you have a uh, kickboxer versus a grappler wrestler. Um, man, you know, I, I think mentally that Ray is definitely, I don't, we saw him break in that fight with Scoggins, you know, and, and that wasn't that long ago where I think Scoggins broke with outside pressure. You know, Scoggins seemed to, seemed, seemed to break with um, whatever's maybe going on in his personal life or the pressure of, of fighting me or I don't know what it was, but he, he seemed to break mentally and that's why he missed weight. That, that's, that's my two cents. Um, but we've actually seen Ray Borg break in a fight and that's, you know, that, that's, a, that's a, a good sign for me. I like that. I like knowing that he's got that's happened to him because he can't deal well with, with angles. He can't deal well with footwork, someone who actually moves on him. You know, he's a very, a very uh, point A to point B fighter. He's, he's, he's moving in a straight line forwards, and it's very basic. Uh, so game playing is a little, uh, a little easier because there's a lot less to worry about. I think it's more in my wheelhouse because, you know, he is, he is me from 10 years ago. He's a grappler and a wrestler and, and, and what have you, but, um, it's still very dangerous. You know, he, he's, he's still can punch. He still can kick. He still can knock me out. He still can submit me, you know, like we, we are fighting. Um, but I, I think it's, it's for me, it's an easier fight. Well said. Uh, now, on the last one, uh, when you were supposed to fight Justin Scoggins, that was a a fight on the pay-per-view main card on pay-per-view. This one on the prelims, does this matter at all? Can you give us some insight? Is is pay different? Is is anything kind of not copacetic with you that now it's not a pay-per-view fight, but it's an FS1 prelim fight? What are your thoughts on that? Um, you know, whatever. I mean, if, if the fight was supposed to happen, we would have been on the main card. And now, now that, now that, you know, it has to be shuffled, shuffled around and all this stuff. I, I, I get it. We're not going to, we're not going to have that good placement on the card. So that's, you know, that's how it goes. It's not that big of a deal to me. Pay is, pay is the same. I think bonuses like locker room type bonuses are a little, are a little different when you're on a Fox card compared to a pay-per-view card, you know, like whatever they whatever they send you home. Um, you know, we, a couple weeks later. So that could be a little bit different, but whatever. It's, uh, I'm not, I'm not worried about it. I'm just excited to get in there and fight. Absolutely. And I've also heard Uriah Faber make the argument cause he's recently been, uh, an FS1 prelim fighter, usually like the, the last fight heading into the pay-per-view. He's made the argument that you get more eyeballs on you on FS1 cause you might have 2 million viewers or so. Whereas a pay-per-view, like, you know, your average non-Connor pay-per-view might only have 300,000 people who, who are watching it at least legally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, I mean, you got to make the best of the situation, whatever. And I'm, I'm, I'm fighting in the UFC. I get to fight on Fox. It doesn't suck. You know, that, that part of the school. So I, I'm stoked either way. And I get to get paid twice in six weeks. So life could be worse. All right. So we like your insight on fighting, obviously. Uh, we would be remiss not to at least ask you a couple of quick rapid fire opinions on this. Stipe versus. Overeem in the main event of 203. What do you think in there as far as that goes? Oh, man. Uh, 
it's such a tough fight to call. Stipe is, you know, I, I'm I'm gonna have to go with Overeem, you know. But then again, you you, you look at the back and forth. Today. I think Stipe is dumb enough to kickbox with him. <laughs> um, yeah, you, you know, and, and and the thing is, is that that could pay off. You know, it's not like Stipe's a slouch on the ground. He he, I mean, on on the feet, he. He knows how to, you know, how to how to box, you know, at least maybe, maybe kickboxing, not so much, but he can throw his hands very well, um, and he can throw them going backwards. That people don't understand that anyone can throw a punch going forwards. Mm. Okay, I, I don't care who you are; anyone can punch someone going forwards. But actually, punching somebody going backwards is, uh, and and to be able to knock them out is um, that's hard. You know that that's a big deal. So that shows how good he is, you know, and, and he, and he it, it's not like he just threw a, a, like a haymaker going backwards. He threw a, a proper punch, mm-hmm. like, and his foot placement and, and hip placement and shoulder, like every, everything moved symbiotically the way it's supposed to move. Um, so he, he's super good, but I, I can see him trying, trying to, to go, you know, blow for blow with Overeem. And I don't think that's going to go well for him, but he does have the wrestling. So you never know uh, on the ground. Uh, I mean, Stipe on top of you sucks. I don't know. I'm, I'm just that's a that's a that's a really tough fight to call, I guess. It but is. I, I'm going to go with Overeem. Okay, fair. And and yeah, in the heavyweight division, it it always feels like anything can happen. And then the other one we wanted to ask your opinion on was if you have one, because it's kind of almost tough to have one with the limited footage we have. But CM Punk and Mickey Gall. Have you caught any of his training footage? Do you have any insights into that? And it's it's worth noting that Henzo Gracie has predicted CM Punk to win via guillotine choke, whatever that means. Yeah, I mean, I, I who knows? Henzo's <laughs> who knows? He's, I mean, he's like, crazy Uncle Henzo. He's great. Yeah, exactly. He exactly. He's crazy Uncle Henzo, and you never know. He might know something we don't know. Right. But from what from what we do know. Uh, CM Punk. Now, I like Phil. I, I'm happy that he's that he's fighting for us and all this stuff. Um, and I didn't see the footage of him training until recently. And to be honest, he he sucks. <laughs> Fair. Like like he he's he's horrible. <laughs> and not to say that Mickey Gall is this world beater, but comparatively, especially on the ground. I mean, the the one fight that I saw Mickey outside of the UFC, where he traps the dude's arm, takes the guy's back, and yes. you know chokes him. Like he he doesn't suck at all. <laughs> and and from the footage, and this could all be CM Punk playing it up. Maybe it's fake, but from what I've seen, he sucks. He he's he's horrible, and he has no business being in there. And again, I could be wrong. He could shock us. I don't know. This is just footage that, that I, I didn't even look up. This is footage that somebody else showed me. Um, my co-host from my radio show, he, he showed me and was like laughing about it. So that's all I've seen. So it, to go to go off of what I've what I've what I've watched, he, it, this is going to be like you know pistol whipping a blind kid. It's not fair. <laughs> Very fair. Yeah. And 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 Gall, you know, proven a legit uh, BJJ brown belt. And on the CM Punk show, you saw he just got, I think it was either his first or second stripe on his white belt. So just ground game alone, I mean, you're dealing with two different ends of the spectrum. 
there. Yeah, um, you're screwed. You're, yeah. you're totally screwed. <laughs> uh, all right, and we want to round this out. We got to bring it back to your division and just get your opinion on this. We saw on your Twitter feed you said that you did check out the first episode of this season's Ultimate Fighter, which is all flyweights. Yeah. What, what were some of your thoughts? And I know when we spoke to you maybe a couple of months ago, there was, you know, maybe a little trepidation there. They're giving these guys a title shot. But but what do you think now after seeing the first episode? What do you think of the concept and what do you think of the quality of fighters? Well, you know, I knew the quality was always there. Uh, I know the, the regional circuit, you know, fighters are good enough. You know, we have the smallest uh, division, I'm sure, in the UFC as far as numbers of people. Mm-hmm. And... We need more bodies, you know, and, and, and it was never anything against the fighters themselves, but it was just kind of the, the, the way it all went down it seemed real weird to me, but whatever it's marketing and advertising. If Demetrius isn't going to do it himself, then sure. This is good for, this is good for him. This is good for his title fight. It creates interest. Um, you know, it gives him someone new to be up. <laughs> so, uh, I don't know. I guess it makes sense. Cool. I, I, I would, I would train my, my teammates to do it. You know, I, I have multiple 25 pound teammates that if they got a shot at Demetrius, I would be more than happy to help them fight Demetrius. So uh, I, I don't see a problem with it. I, I think I was just a little bit confused with it before I really sat back and thought and, and put serious, some serious mind power behind it. And, and then watching the show, uh, and mind you, I, I hate that TV show. I think it's I, I hate most TV shows. Mm-hmm. That show's horrible. Uh, and I'm like, but besides you know the fact that it's reality TV and all that, just the fact that it's you know 16 very very talented young fighters that realistically should be in UFC. Uh, I'm I'm happy for them. I'm I'm stoked you know, because we could see the next champion or or we could just see the next group of top, top contenders or gatekeepers or or just exciting, exciting fighters from all over the world that, that can be in the UFC. Absolutely. Well said. And yeah, I mean, and it's also worth noting, I mean, these are guys that you're, you know, more than likely going to end up facing too, uh, you know, with a, with another win or two, you're always at the top of the heap. I mean, you look at Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson, obviously a killer. Uh, he has two losses on his career, one to Dominic Cruz at a higher weight, one to Brad Pickett, and then a draw with you, which a lot of people thought you won, you're always in the mix. You know, who's to say that you don't end up fighting, you know, one of these guys soon uh, after the title fight, and then you're back in the title mix. Uh, but I guess that's worth asking you, what's the plan here? You know, you're, you've you talked recently just about, you know, an end game and having a plan. Is it kind of just one fight at a time right now? Has anything changed in that regard? Are you are you thinking title shot soon after they get through this this show and that winner gets Demetrius? What what's next for Uncle Creepy after a win? I look at this this space and time as far as Demetrius fights for the the winner of the show when uh, in December. December. So you know he won't fight again after that which I'm guessing he'll have to. And then after that fight, he has to fight the winner of Benavides and Cejudo, right? No, not necessarily, because he beat Cejudo, you know, three or four months ago. Okay, well, well then he has to fight, uh, what's it, the Wilson Hayes, the guy who's Poss- been ducking yes. me. Right. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, if, if I could fight, you know, I, I win this fight, 
you know, crush some, you know, crush board, go out. I fight again, you know, by the at least once by the end of the year. Uh, that's what I would like to see is is myself get this fight, get one more before the end of the year, uh, one in spring. <laughs> Sorry, um, uh, something just funny happened in my room. Um, but uh, so it, that can, it gives me time to build momentum. You know, if if I could. You know, if I could get the momentum in my favor, get a couple wins, and get people talking about it, get people going, okay, he deserves it. Like, Ian's won three in a row. He's finished every person. He beat um, Justin Scoggins. Then he beat whoever it is. Then he beat Wilson Hayes or whoever, you know, whoever's 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 next after this. Then I think, you know, maybe by summertime, I'll, I'll deservingly have a title shot, and, and the public will be calling for it. People will be clamoring. You know, for it, and maybe Demetrius will actually get that seven-figure payday he wants. Oh, I like it. Uh, all right. Well, you have two big Uncle Creepy fans here. We wish you the best of luck this Saturday. Not looking past Ray Borg, obviously. It's going to be a banger of a fight. Uh, we picked you in our breakdown, and that's not just because you're a friend of the show, uh, but we would like <laughs> to see the uh, the Ian McCall, Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson rematch somewhere down the line. So, Ian, we can't thank you enough for the time, and best of luck this Saturday. No worries. Thank you, guys. All right. We will move now to our preview of UFC 203 coming to you live from Cleveland this Saturday night on pay-per-view. Call your local cable providers or just sign into Fight Pass and order it there. Uh, Gumby, this is headlined by Stipe Miocic, the heavyweight champion, defending his title for the first time. And let's remember, no heavyweight champion has ever defended their belt more than twice. Can Stipe disprove the rule, go on a roll here, and start a winning title defense streak of two or more? I don't know, but he will be fighting Alistair Overeem. So, Gumby, before I kick it over to you for your opinion, let me tell you what our two fighters have been up to. Uh, Stipe Miocic is on a three-fight win streak since losing a very close decision to JDS back in December of 2014. He reeled off a TKO of Mark Hunt, a five-round bully beatdown. Then he TKO'd Andre Arlovsky back in January of this year in the first round. And then, improbable, unbelievable, miraculously, an underdog upset. He went into the lion's den, Curitiba, Brazil, and he beat hometown favorite Fabricio Verdum, the defending heavyweight champion who had just dethroned the most recent king of the division, Kane Velasquez. Does this mean that Stipe can beat Kane? No, of course not. That's not how <laughs> MMA math works. But it doesn't change the fact that Stipe knocked out Fabricio Verdum, knocked that stupid smile off his face. Just kidding. I actually like that smile he does. Uh, Overeem, on the other hand. So, by the way, Stipe, 3-0 and in his last three. Overeem, on the other hand, you might know him from his pride days. You might know him from his K1 days. He is on a four-fight win streak. Since losing to Ben Rothwell back in September of 2014, he knocked out Stefan Struve. He got a unanimous, unanimous decision victory over Hoy Nelson, busted up his ribs with kicks in that fight. Then he TKO'd Junior Dos Santos back in December and then TKO'd Andre Arlovsky in May. So he is on a four-fight win streak, Gumby. Who you got? I'm actually gonna go with uh, I'm gonna go with the champ here. I'm gonna go with Steve wow, Miocic to why? defend. Uh, to me, he he's got the the body movement and the control of the cage that uh, 
I just haven't seen enough out of Alistar. For so are you so, saying that he's going to grind him up against the I'm cage or wrestle him gonna, up? I'm not necessarily saying he's going to grind him and or wrestle him up, but he's got the ability to do either of those things. And also, one of the things you'll always notice in his fight is that if he wants to fight in close quarters, it's in close quarters. If he wants to fight from distance, it's at distance. If he wants to fight up against the cage, it's up against the cage. He picks where things go. You know, all I can think of when I try to pick whether or not he can bully around, you know, a big tough guy like Stipe Miocic, if, if Alistar can, is I think about his fight with Travis Brown. Travis Brown took it to him. Travis Brown put him up against the wall. So when I think about somebody like Stipe, who is really good at putting people up against the wall too, I, I think he's going to do it to Alistar. And, and, you know, you mentioned all those people over and beat. Are any of them the type of guy who can put you up against the cage? Uh, no. Struve isn't. Dos Santos isn't. Arlovsky isn't. Nelson isn't. You know, he's losing to people who can bully him. Ben Rothwell. He lost to uh, Travis Brown. Those are people who can put you up against the cage, and they both can't put you up against there as well as Stipe can. All right. I like the breakdown. I, too, am picking Stipe. One worry, however, is that it does take place in his hometown, and I can go through a litany, a history of UFC fighters who went into their hometown and got the embarrassing L in front of their friends and family and then later said at the press conference or in interviews afterwards, it was just too much pressure. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I understand that piece, uh, but he loves Cleveland, uh, I think, more than most things. And while there might be some pressure there, too, I, I just have to imagine he's going to defend it there. It's called Believeland for a reason. <laughs> All right. And let's also not forget, he became UFC champ a month before the uh, Cleveland Cavs won the NBA title. That's right. And the, the Indians don't look all too bad either right now. Um, all right. We move to the co-main, which is another heavyweight offering. I really like when uh, co-mains are both from the same division. You get a lot of uh, movement at the top 10 of the rankings because of it. And you will have the ex-champ, the man Stipe beat for the title, Fabricio Verdum fighting Travis Brown. It is worth noting that Fabricio Verdum and Travis Brown have fought before. Um, do you remember that Gumby? It was like a five round stand up war where Brown broke his hand, but Verdum got the better of him, took the five round unanimous decision victory and carried it to a title shot in November later that year. And that's when he beat Mark Hunt for the interim title. Mm -hmm. Uh, but anywho, uh, Travis Brown in his last three is one and two. He lost to Andre Arlovsky via TKO wild, crazy fight back in May of 2015. Wild, crazy, like three and a half minutes. Correct. <laughs> uh, then he beat Matt Mitrione via TKO punches. Mitrione disputed the loss due to eye pokes but it was upheld and then uh brown lost to kane velasquez a month or so ago at ufc 200 so he is one and two in his last three fabricio verdum on the other hand coming off the loss in brazil lost his title in devastating fashion to stipe uh, he is two and one in his last three beat Kane Velasquez via submission guillotine choke back in June of 2015 and beat Mark Hunt with a TKO flying knee and punches back in November of 2014. So two and one in his last three, who you got? I, I mean, I think you're crazy if you pick Travis Brown in this one, don't get me wrong. The guy's got a lot of chops, but he is just up against, you know, one of the best in heavyweight history and, and really I don't see any drop-off from Verdum. I mean, he, he lost a, a tough fight where he got knocked out from a backpedaling Stipe Miocic. But apart from that, he's looked untouchable as of late, including, like, outboxing and outstriking Cain Velasquez. So, if he, I mean, he did that. 
I don't really see a way that Travis Brown wins this fight uh, without, like, you know, shock knockout. Uh, yeah, and I also think, uh, you know, that uh, Verdum has... Uh, wait, did you say who did Verdum look uh, incredible against? Outboxing who? I said he, when he, he outworked Cain Velazquez. Oh, outworked Cain Velazquez. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, sorry. I mean, he looked like he was winning a striking battle before he won a grappling battle. I thought, I'm sorry. I thought you said JDS for a second. I just no, wanted to make no. sure, and I didn't want our adoring public to get the wrong information. So that was a little fact check. Gumby one, Dave zero. Uh, but yeah, uh, I agree with you there. And I just want to say that Verdum has more methods to victory. The jiu-jitsu, obviously. He's a black belt, a world champion. And I don't think Brown has looked that great since moving with Coach Edmund, who I don't find to be the greatest of coaches. Uh if you want to know the odds on this, Verdum, the minus 225 favorite, Travis Brown, a plus 185 dog. And I failed to mention it before, the main event, very close, uh, Overeem, a very slight plus 115 dog to Stipe, a very slight minus 130 favorite. Yeah, and, and that sounds right, too. Either of those guys could knock each other out. So that's the uh, co-billing uh, in the heavyweight mania of UFC 203. We'll move now along the card third from the top and oh you know what gumby i have a problem here i'm sorry we might have to stop down taping as they say um it's weird one of the fighters here it's like he doesn't have a pro record <laughs> yeah. this can't be right he's on the main card That's he's right. oh and oh from the top uh oh, okay oh oh yeah no it's it's correct you checking got a pro wrestling record <laughs> cm punk records? will be making his debut against mickey gall you could check out my article on cm punk at mixedmartialarts.com. it's called punking history cheap plug cheap plug but anywho uh cm punk will be making his debut against mickey gall the two and oh pro fighter he was discovered quote unquote on the looking for a fight show which if I can use pro wrestling speak for a second that looking for a fight show is such a work they obviously were looking at Mickey Gall going into it I hate when they pretend I'm looking for a fight like oh look at this guy he just came out of nowhere he looks great let's yeah. put him in the UFC yeah they went there looking for Mickey Gall I will also say this too if, if you are a follower of smaller promotions like I am you will notice promoters changing and adding fights when Dana White announces uh, you know, take the recent show in Bangor, Maine, which uh, I know it hasn't. I don't think it's aired. It yet. has not aired yet. It has not aired yet. But if you look at what the the promoter from NEF did, um, they added a fight with their their lightweight champion, like three weeks before the the fight card, right after Dana White announced, and he was fighting a guy who was five and five, and it was at catchweight, not for his title. Right. Suddenly, yeah, you know, and and the one in freaking uh, North Dakota did the same thing. Cody East fought uh, on like four weeks notice against a guy with close to a losing record. Head kicked him in fifty seconds. Hey, you know what it is? I love the show. I love the concept of the show. I realize there's no way around. The fact that Dana's going to let them know he's coming and production crews and camera crews and it would leak and yada yada. I just hate the fake Hollywood pretend aspect of it. Like when they saw the the photo of Sage Northcutt in the first they one. They knew they were going exactly. there like, Oh, look at this guy. He looks like a model. Get the fuck out of here. You knew who he was and that's why you went and that's why you signed him to a 40 and 40 deal. All right. We've gone off on one of the worst tangents we've ever done. You know, one of the things that separates us from other MMA media podcasts is we try to stay on point and we just did a horrific job of that and i take uh full responsibility well, of that I'll, I'll tell you exactly why that happened is because there's no way anybody in the whole world 
can reasonably break down this fight. And I'll tell you why. Is whether or not you've seen a highlight video of CM Punk or Phil There's Harris, a three-part documentary. Yeah, whether you've seen all three parts of the documentary and some footage that Duke Rufus taped, you don't know what he's capable of. Nobody knows what he's capable of. He could be, like everybody's claiming, the worst guy ever to step in the octagon. He very well could be. And you know what? For those people out there claiming it, I say maybe there's some merit in that. But he also could be good. You know, like you can't watch some guy hit pads and be like, he's going to be trash when he steps in the octagon because you don't know the intensity of that pad session. You don't know the purpose of that pad session. You don't know if he was working on a different combination that he usually does. We know nothing about this guy. And the fact that there are so many people out there pretending like they do, it's a joke because you know what? Breaking this fight down basically comes down to we got a guy who we've got no clue about. Will, will I pick against him? Yeah, I'll pick Mickey Gall if you gun to my head. But well, he's a brown belt in jiu-jitsu. He's a brown belt in jiu-jitsu. Whereas that show just showed that CM Punk's only a one-stripe white belt. But he's also been training for like eight years, It's just not with like the regular kind of consistency. And don't get me wrong, yeah, you take breaks. Jiu-jitsu is not like riding a bike. You don't pick it right back up. But... He's been training longer than a, a white belt would suggest. Well, let me also say this. And again, this is from the pro wrestling fan background in me and why I think this whole thing's a fucking work from all sides. Uh, it's also worth noting, Mickey Gall's record says 2-0. and It's actually 1-0, and and I'll tell you why. And I hate to say it because he's a friend of the show and I like him as a personality. The fight with Mike Jackson, Yeah, Mike. I don't understand it. Because, let's just be honest about it, all right? Mike Jackson was an 0-1 amateur fighter who the UFC brought in to fight Mickey Gall to pump him up for CM Punk. Yeah, and, That's not a real fight. No, and, That's and, a fucking practice fight. And, and Mike even said it to us on the show. I mean, like, more than fighting for legacy, he did you know, promo work and he's he, taking camera shots. He and, lost to Mickey Gall, smiled about it and was on media row three fights later at the UFC. Yeah, these, that was not a real fight. No, I, I agree with that. And you know what? Gall and looking for a fight, they probably set him up with somebody he could crush there too. Cause as we just mentioned, you know, those fights are not the, the neck and neck fights that those promos usually put on. For all we know, Mickey Gall is like a championship caliber golfer that Dana White knew and was like, listen, can you pretend to be an MMA fighter for the next seven we'll, we'll months? Get, we'll get you a couple of good ones. We'll get you a couple of good ones. We'll, we'll pay you out. Nice payday. And then just fucking go against this guy, CM Punk. Who just con continued looking fucking chiseled and, uh, <laughs> you know smile all the time and uh don't get in his face too much because he doesn't like that the whole thing's a spectacle no one really knows what's up and i just want to say you know while i obviously pick mickey gall based on what we see and you have people like henzo gracie picking cm punk via guillotine henzo's crazy i love it it's kind of funny that he said I, that i, I freaking love Henzo. but <laughs> you know no one really knows what's going to happen so i pick gall just based on the brown belt because i respect the shit out of that i don't really know much else about him because i don't really believe in the two fights that we've seen on yeah. videotape but i will say that i don't don't think the UFC would have allowed nor would they have done that documentary with CM Punk where he looks so bad in the first episode uh, with his striking, which is OK. Fair enough. He had just started his striking, uh, but they're going to release the fourth episode. I think this coming I don't know. Maybe it's already been released or it's about to be released, but I wouldn't be surprised in the fourth episode, and I haven't seen it yet. If he looked freaking good. If he looked good. Yeah. Because it would show, like, the evolution of it all. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. Hey, and that's the name of the show, The Evolution of CM Punk. <laughs> All right, we've said enough about a shitty fucking fight that shouldn't be on a main card, but it is. It'll be interesting to see the buy rate just because the low end of pay-per-views this year, and we haven't gotten the Woodley Lawler numbers yet, but the low end has been about 300,000. There hasn't been a Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson headline fight that would you know plummet to that, like a that's, 125. That's never doing PPV again. Uh, <laughs> um, but let's just say that if CM Punk wasn't here and we can reasonably assume that, you know, Stipe and Overeem's a pretty big name, they could probably pull in 250 to 300. Stipe, not the biggest name, but it is a heavyweight fight. Does CM Punk lift this card above half a million buys? I think so. Yeah. yeah. Are that many wrestling fans yeah, going to tune in? Yeah, at least 200. All right. So, all right, there you go. Now we can move on to real fighters uh, fighting. You have a guy by the name of Uriah Faber, who is not a joke. Uh, and he is going to be fighting Jimmy Rivera. Faber, of course, just lost to Dominic Cruz, the champion, via decision, uh, which doesn't really tell the story of that fight. Cruz dominated it. Uh, Faber beat Frankie Signs before that and lost to Frankie Edgar via decision before that. So Uriah Faber is one and two in his last three. Uh, Jimmy Rivera, on the other hand, he is on a, oh my goodness, Gumby. He is on a... Ooh, he is on a 18-fight win streak. <laughs> is that right? Yeah. 19-1, and one, lost his second fight. Jeepers, creepers. Yeah, uh, yeah and he's 3-0 and oh in the UFC. Beat Marcus Brimage, beat Pedro Munoz, beat uh, Lurie Alcantara. Uh, wh- who you got here, man? I did not realize Jimmy Rivera was a 19-1 uh, and one professional. Yeah, well, you know what? And, and this is going to come to a shock with you, too, then. I'm picking Jimmy Rivera on speed alone. I'm not shocked anymore. <laughs> His speed is absolutely incredible. I actually got a chance to see him live before he was like a big deal. He fought at World Series of Fighting 5, which was headlined by Arlovsky and Mike Kyle. Um, And he fought some guy who I couldn't tell you the name of anymore. But I just remember him coming out and throwing hooks at like 150 miles an hour. I mean, like he's the don't blink type of fighter because he's only got to tag you once. In Faber, his only hope here really is to wrestle him up because I don't think Faber is striking. He can tackle this. And the other reason I'm picking Rivera here is because Faber's head is not in it anymore. He said he was thinking about retiring. And how many times have we seen a guy say he's thinking about retiring only to have him put throw up one of the worst performances of his life. <laughs> Carlos Condit. Uh, Uriah Faber is a plus 105 dog here. Jimmy Rivera, the minus 125 favorite. And I failed to mention... I'm a little that... bit surprised Faber is a dog just because he's Faber, but but that's interesting. Yeah. And I failed to mention it before. You could get CM Punk, if you're a believer, uh, at plus 350. Uh, Mickey Gall is right now riding between a minus 420 and as high as four, minus 435. I, I will say, too... At plus 350, Punk might be a play. And no one knows. Nobody knows anything about him. So if you can get him at nearly 4-1, to why not? Here, This was the prop I was thinking of playing. I always try to go with, I guarantee you guys, go into your mind's eye. Think of every fight that was quote-unquote predictable. And even if the outcome was, the way it happened wasn't. So the conventional wisdom here is... Gall starts tagging him and locks in a submission within a couple of minutes or Gall tags him and the ref pulls him off within a couple of minutes. Is it worth a play? I haven't seen the props yet with the prop bets on it, but punk just a last to the second round. Why yeah, not? The over under is probably a round and a half, maybe half around even. So that's not a bad prop to play depending on what those odds might be. All right. Uh, 
kicking off the pay-per-view, another really exciting fight, in my opinion. You have Jessica Andrade versus Joanna Calderwood. And actually, is this at the catchweight or is this back at strawweight? I think she's back to strawweight, okay. if I'm not mistaken. Okay, because uh, Calderwood just took a fight at 125 uh, when I think they were experimenting with that division. But yes, this looks to be at strawweight. Uh, Andrade is coming off a win over Jessica Penne via TKO. Big win for her. She lost to Raquel Pennington before that. Uh, and she beat Sarah Mraz before that, so she is two and one in her last. But one and zero at at strawweight. I was just going to say, right? She won her strawweight debut versus Jessica Penne, who is a big name, a former title challenger in the division. Calderwood, on the other hand, is two and one in her last three. She lost to Marina Moroz via armbar back in April of 2015. Came back to get the unanimous decision win over Courtney Casey, and then big, big performance beat Valerie Letourneau at 125 pounds um, back in June. So two and one in her last three. Who you got here? I think I'm going to go with the uh, who I'm assuming is the underdog here, and that's JoJo Calderwood. And the reason why is because Andrade really depends on forward pressure and getting her opponent out quick. Uh, and you'll see in most of her wins that that's the way that she tackles it. She just, you know, balls to the wall, throwing punches like crazy, hoping she knocks him out. And that's what happened to Penny. And Penny back straight up. JoJo Calderwood uh, is not afraid to clinch with you and not afraid to throw knees. She's got a great Muay Thai game. And also, she's super, super, super durable. Um, I'm fairly certain I've never seen her stopped with punches. Uh, so if you think about that, the most likely situation here is Andrade puts together a very impressive first round, probably wins it on the card. JoJo takes two and three due to Andrade's gas tank. I like it. And you are correct that uh, Calderwood, very slight underdog. You could get her as a plus 105. Uh, Andrade riding her around a minus 125 favorite yeah, right so now. So really close on, on a lot of the main card. All right, so that wraps up the main card of UFC 203. Let's move now to the FS1 prelims, the free fights on FS1. It's going to be main evented, so to speak. It's going to be the lead into the pay-per-view, and it's Jessica Evil Eye, great nickname, versus Bitch Kahea. Bitch is a plus 105 dog to Jessica Eye, the minus 125 favorite. Who you got? I'm going to take Eye. I actually think her striking is a little bit better than Kahea's because, uh, you know, she tagged Misha Tate. And I thought she almost had Misha Tate beat, so I'm going to go with I. I like it. Uh, Michael McBride, a plus 310 dog to Nick Lentz, the minus 400 favorite. It's all Lentz all day here. Yeah, it's all Lentz. I mean, McBride's taking this on short notice. He does have eight submissions and nine wins. Good to note, but I mean... Nick Lentz is not an easy guy to submit. Uh, moving to middleweight again, sticking with the FS1 prelims, you have Hellboy making his comeback after suspension due to spitting on an opponent and a referee. Uh, he'll be fighting Brad Tavares. I've always liked Hellboy coming off the loss. Uh, now back after the suspension, uh, Hellboy is the plus 150 favorite to Brad Tavares, the minus 170 dog. Who do you have? Uh, I'm going to take Cal Magalish, uh, mostly... Wait, sorry, I fucked up. I apologize. Plus, plus 150 is the dog. Yeah, minus 170 Cal, is the favorite. Hellboy is the dog, and Brad Tavares so, is the minus So I'm going to take favorite. the underdog here, Cal Magalish. I think his grappling game is better than Tavares's. Uh, Tavares has looked a little shaky on the stand-up recently, too. So Magalish, I think, is a good money pick here. And then kicking off the FS1 prelim, uh, probably really the biggest name on 
the prelims, you have our our boy, friend of the show, Uncle Creepy Ian McCollum, minus one twenty favorite, fighting another favorite of the show, though he's never been on the show, and that's Ray Borg, the plus one oh five dog. Yeah, this is a hard one for me to watch because I do like both guys so much, but Borg is, is a submission-heavy guy. I can't imagine him getting a sub on Ian McCall. Ian McCall wins this in the top game. I love it. Uh, moving now to the uh, fight pass prelims. It's going to be headlined by Sean Spencer, a plus-120 dog, to Yancey Medeiros, the minus-140 favorite. What are you thinking? I like Medeiros' takedown game, and uh, I think he's a little bit more diverse with his footwork sometimes, and I think that gets him the win here over Spencer. And then you have C.B. Dalloway, who I feel like we haven't seen in years. Uh, minus-170 favorite to... Fransimir Barroso, the plus 150 dog. What are you thinking? I, I'm a big fan of C.B. Dalloway. I think he's got more tools here, uh, although he's got to watch out for Barroso's knockout power. So uh, I'm going to go with C.B. cautiously. Uh, and then just kicking off the entire show on Fight Pass, you have Drew Dober, the minus 160 favorite against Jason Gonzalez, the plus 140 dog. Do you know anything about Jason Gonzalez? I, I know very little about Jason Gonzalez, but you also got to love friend of the show, Drew Dober. Uh, you know, just an all around great guy and a hilarious personality. So I'm going to go with Dober here because uh, of his tremendous via, personality via friend of the show power. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. All right, that wraps up another episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We, again, can't thank you enough for listening. We will be back next week with our reaction to 203 and tons of other good stuff, I am sure. We'll catch you on the flippity flip.